Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. I know I'm fond of saying that every day history is made, and therefore every day uh, you and I have an opportunity to bear witness and testimony to the goodness of God and His grace and His providence in the midst of whatever is happening in the course of human history. But on Saturday, history here in the United States was made in a very you know, particular way. Uh, should she be confirmed, which I fully expect, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, the president's nominee to fill the vacancy on the Supreme Court of the United States, would become only the 115th person in our nation's history to uh, to hold that particular position. And she would become the first woman with school-age children on the bench. And her school-age children... Uh, in fact, her seven children, are actually at issue in the conversation related to the high court. Um, We're going to talk at length in the coming days and weeks about the process and the protestations. But today, I just want to take a couple of minutes here to be sure that you know who the candidate is, who the nominee is, um, because I do think that there are some ways in which you and I can engage in the conversations of the day related to uh, Amy Coney Barrett, and uh, and we can we can be um, proud evangelical Christians uh, to uh, to uphold this nomination um, of our president of this particular judge to serve as a justice. So, Judge Amy Coney Barrett is forty eight years old. She was born in New Orleans. She got her education from Rhodes College in Memphis and her JD from Notre Dame Law School. If you want to read some really, um, uh, I think, important validation of her from across the spectrum. Read what her Notre Dame um, colleagues have said about her uh, in the in the run up to her confirmation um, as a uh, as a judge on the uh, U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. So that's just a couple of years ago. And uh, from from the far left to uh, uh, to the right, there's an affirmation of of her as a credentialed jurist. Previously, so she now serves uh, on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. She was appointed to that post in 2017 by President Trump. Uh, Previously, she taught constitutional law at Notre Dame. Um, And uh, prior to teaching, she clerked for Justice Antonin Scalia. And that is going to be, I think, the conversation that uh, you might be most interested in. Uh, Well, that and the fact that she's Roman Catholic, that that is her religious affiliation or denomination. She is a Roman Catholic. Much will be made of that. She is married. She has seven children. Two of her children uh, adopted from Haiti. One of her children uh, does have special needs. She is uh, she's the kind of mom that you and I are like, right? She's she's a working woman. She is uh, raising kids. One of her children has special needs. She has a uh, she doesn't just have a Christian philosophy of adoption. They're an adoptive family. 
they have adopted children into their home in the same way that you and I are adopted in to the loving family of, uh, of the Lord our God. Um, this is a person of grace. Uh, she, um, she is an originalist in terms of her understanding of the Constitution. And yes, when she is confirmed, I say when, not if, because I don't really think, I mean, although there will be many protestations, um, she's going to be confirmed. So let me just go ahead and say that with some some confidence. Uh, Republicans, uh, you know, hold a majority in the Senate, and that's who is actually going to confirm this uh, this candidate, this nominee. So she's going to be confirmed. But yes, uh, over the next few weeks, um, I do think that we need to be in very ardent prayer. We don't need to be hostile to people who are hostile toward her. We need to meet that hostility with grace and confidence. We also need to be praying for her husband, for her kids, for her friends, for her neighbors and coworkers, for her law clerks, for the people with whom that she has had fellowship at her local church, because all of them are about to be scrutinized and in many cases villainized in an attempt to keep another pro-life voice off the nation's highest court. So it's, it, she's going to be confirmed. You can, you can know that. And so the people who are going to be attacking her and those around her are doing so because that is how... Um, that's sort of the devolution point we are at in our culture. People tear each other up or they tear at what they can because they cannot achieve what they want. In this case, to keep an originalist uh, off of the Supreme Court because the balance uh, in terms of conservatives is going to be, hmm, well, quite heavy after this. It'll be a 6-3 majority after she is confirmed to the court. So all of that I wanted to lead off with today. Uh, let's be praying for Amy Coney Barrett and her family. Um, you're going to hear her talked about as ACB. So just so that you know, going going into the conversations of the day, uh, if you see ACB, that is Amy Coney Barrett. Next up, Zach Jenkins. He and I are going to talk about COVID headlines because there's updates every single week. We'll be right back. It's good to have you back again. Oh, hey, 98. Joining me now, Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. We're going to talk all things COVID-19. Welcome back, Zach. Good morning. All right. Why don't you lead us off with some some updates? Where do you want to start? Because my list of links is long. <laughs> I, I think a pretty interesting study came out last week that, that, that uh, Dr. Robert Redfield, who's the director of the CDC, uh, brought forth. He, he uh, basically brought brought up the issue that about 90% of Americans um, may have potentially not been exposed to the coronavirus based on some prevalence studies that they're actively doing right now. And the first study that they are working on was just completed, and so that's what he's quoting from. It is, of course, not final data. So this is sort of a, an ongoing process. Um, as he stated, there's, there's a big, big study that CDC is currently working on. But on that note, there was another study that came out that was published in The Lancet looking at prevalence as well. And what they did is they looked at whether or not the virus was in the sample in blood samples from dialysis centers of about and they looked at about 30,000 patients or so. And so they found really the same kind of findings that only about 10 percent had the virus present. Um, So there's a one thing you have to keep in mind with that is it was in a dialysis center, and it doesn't necessarily represent 
all of our population. But at the same time, they didn't actually pick and choose who was in the study because it was just part of routine care. So take that for what you will. Um, but why this is all important, of course, is if it's not very prevalent right now, it means that a lot of these measures that we're currently practicing, we still need to continue to practice. Social distancing, wearing masks, washing our hands. Wait, I think we should always be washing our hands. That That's correct. And so that's that's the big Big, big question when it comes to prevalence studies in the long term. So, um, you know, it's it's all personal at some at some point. Right. I mean, we have to we have to personalize it. So we went back to school here um, mid-August and uh, my kids are in two different schools. One's in public high school. They shut down uh, again, went all virtual. Um, They were already on like a, a staggered schedule. Only half the students in school um, at a time, but they shut down a couple of weeks ago. Um, rolling re restart start uh, tomorrow um, to see how that goes. But the COVID outbreak was pretty minimal, and I think that they they shut it down as fast as they could after they recognized that Labor Day weekend um, had created had presented a bit of a problem. And so um, that's been an interesting experience for us. Um, and then we have the other situation. Private high school, private school, K to 12, very small. Um, Friday night was homecoming. Uh, There was a game. There were people in the stands. We were wearing masks. Most people were not. There was some social distancing, but I think fair to say not a lot. And and then we got an email on Saturday saying, oh, the athletic director tested positive. So um, there's a – I think that there's an ongoing – at least among some, and I recognize that it depends where you live and it depends who you're around, but at least among some, there is uh, there is this idea that, oh, well, you know, if we've avoided it for this long, it's probably not going to happen in our community among the people we hang out with and who we know. That's just not true. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is a big concern. Um, and certainly I think what's going to be very telling is the coming months as we look towards flu season. So we have obviously a lot of respiratory viruses, um, bacterial pneumonias, et cetera, that typically hit this time of year uh, all the way through March. And so especially January, February, March, that's going to be an interesting time to look look at as far as what's going to happen with COVID. All right. We got flu season. We've got COVID. We've got some sort of waterborne amoeba that's eating people's brains in Texas. That is just super duper scary. Um, Zach Jenkins is here and um, he and I are trying to quell the fear and prepare everybody for the day ahead. So we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Zach Jenkins from Cedarville University. Um, Zach, let's talk a little bit about uh, COVID and the question. I have a question mark next to this. Airborne spread? Uh, this this was a really interesting thing. So the, the CDC has for a long time acknowledged that airborne spread is a possibility, but it's not been considered any by, by any means like a main way that COVID spreads. Uh, and the thought is, you know, if you're if you're sneezing or, or coughing, um, that's when you might see some of these things. Uh, maybe strenuous exercise, that sort of thing. Well, what what happened is they ended up having an update go out to the, their education for the public about how COVID spreads, 
And it basically said that it was airborne in addition to being spread through droplets, which is the big way we've talked about for a long time. And what that really would have meant is that pretty much six feet apart wouldn't matter as much because we're talking like 12 feet or more apart would be what you'd be looking for. And that would also mean things like uh, gyms and, and being in close proximity with people with, with cloth masks would probably not be a good situation. So that's, that's a, a big concern um, if, that, if that were true. Well, it, as it turns out, according to the CDC, um, basically this was an update that went out af- without having undergone any kind of internal peer review. It just basically <laughs> got posted. So they ended up pulling it back down. So as you can imagine, there was quite a bit of outrage and controversy controversy uh, really sparked by this. Yeah, this is one of those things where because we saw it as a headline, we pulled it up and we ran with it. And then the next day they were like, oh, we didn't really mean for that to go out to everybody. Not like that. And, and so I do think that... Um, there's a there's a deep we have to take a deep breath and um and pause sometimes when we're reading headlines and and even when they are from reputable sources there are times that we have to wait and be sure they actually meant to say what they said publicly i just i just think that maybe those are some good rules for us going forward um we are at the we are at the point where we've reached some significant milestones in terms of numbers. I mean, globally, the total deaths are going to surpass a million today. I think that we all recognize that here in the United States, we've surpassed uh, 200,000 deaths. Um, when when we start talking about, I'm in fact, just over the weekend, Zach, I had a couple of people say, you know, how long do you think we're going to be doing this? And they're, they're pointing to their masks, right? How long do you think we're going to be doing this? And I think that when we start talking about those things, we all need to recognize we're in this for a while, Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we're we're kind of at least stuck in some ways until we have a better idea how prevalent this is in the population. I know the CDC, you know, as we talked about earlier, has preliminary studies on that subject. Um but but we would hope, you know, when we're talking about herd immunity targets of 70 to 80% of the population that we'd be further along to that point. So that that's why those prevalence studies are going to be kind of important for us to look at. Um but that, that's all thinking about herd immunity. If we get that vaccine early enough and can get it distributed early enough, that's where we have a little bit more hope, I guess, of disengaging from some of these measures we've been using. There's been some really interesting stuff coming out about uh, masks, though, that I was really skeptical about when I heard about it. Um, and I looked Tell at us. To the New England Journal of Medicine, and, and really there's this article that they, they basically described how masks can potentially – decrease the amount of virus that you're exposed to, which we've known, but because it decreases that initial load people would get if they're exposed to it, they actually may not have as severe of an immune response and it may be a little bit more protective. So that's kind of where some of that emerging data is going. And I was really skeptical. I'm like, seriously, okay, now you guys are pulling my leg about masks. But then when I read the study, I'm like, you know, maybe there's a little bit of hope here. Maybe there's actually something interesting beyond what we've typically thought that could help us as we're trying to approach herd immunity. Okay, in the category of um, maybe hopeful, uh, you and I both read one interesting headline that, you know, I don't, I don't know if we're going to, you know, you and I always look for silver linings related to COVID, but there may be a positive side. I'm looking at this pain blocker, this uh, 
SARS-CoV-2 infection can block pain? No? Yes. Is it made yeah, up? It's, Uh-oh. Well, you know, that's, that's a good question. There, there are lots of receptors in our body that are associated with pain. And one of them is um, something called neuropilin 1. And so they, this is like a protein that really is expressed on axons, which are kind of like uh, your, your, your nerve cells, right? So it's ex- expressed on these axons. And they think that, you know, sometimes your pain signals will fire and target that. And that's where you get some of your nerve pain from. Well, apparently COVID may be blocking some of that. Maybe. And if that's true, then we may have just discovered a new target where we could develop future drugs uh, basically to attack the site and have a little bit more pain relief down the road. So maybe there's a little bit of good news that's coming from this. Okay, and then because I feel like it's my responsibility to uh, surface COVID um, headlines that might that people might not otherwise be reading. <clears throat> Here's the surprise headline of the day. <laughs> First of all, anything from TMZ, right? You just have to pause and you have to say <laughs> Carmen is going to get a coronavirus headline from TMZ. So I'm just going to warn you in advance. But the coronavirus vaccine could result in the deaths of half a million sharks. Do you want to know why? Don't you want to know why? Yeah, I've not heard that one. Okay, GlaxoSmithKline's vaccine uh, includes um, this derivative from a shark liver. So it's called shark squalene, and it's a natural oil that's produced in the liver of a shark. And so in order to produce a billion doses of their their coronavirus vaccine, um, in, which would include this shark squalene, um, a quarter of a million sharks would have to be killed. But it might be a vaccine that requires two dosings, and so that's a half a million sharks. And so I'm just letting you know the shark allies are already um, now out there saying we can't produce a vaccine for COVID to protect people because it's going to cost the lives of sharks. So I just thought I would alert you to that headline because uh, if they – if GlaxoSmithKline ends up with the vaccine that works, the shark ally people are going to be upset. I just, wow, Zach, I, I feel like that. it's my job. I feel like it's my job every Monday <laughs> to be sure you have a COVID headline that has escaped your attention because you're on the front lines of the actual medical care of people. You know, at the same time, maybe as we're evaluating these vaccines against one another, it's possible we'll have more than one candidate that that's successful. Maybe that's the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe we've now discovered why there's scary predatory animals on the earth because as stewards, God wanted us to use them for our own health. I don't know. I could, you know, I'm um, I'm actually good at arguing all sides of most things. So I look forward to um, <clears throat> this developing conversation in the future. Shark Week would never be the same. <gasps> Shark Week! All right, I'm going to start collecting headlines. Hey, thank you so very much, as always, Zach. Have a great week. Um, be a blessing out there. We'll continue to pray God's hedge of protection over you as you uh, as you serve others in his name. All right, thank you. Have a good week. Thank you, you too. We'll be right back. Idolatry. I want you to think for just a moment about the image of God. Don't you think about uh, God having created us as his image bearers? Don't you think about the restoration of that that happens when we come to know Christ as our not only our Savior, but our Lord? And 
we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, so we're talking here about image. I mean, in, image is everything when we're talking about the Christian faith and discipleship. The perversion of that image is idolatry. So just hold that thought for a moment. God created us to be his image bearers. Christ not only comes to provide a way of salvation, but offers moment by moment by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us back into conformity with God's design, right? That we would actually become again bearers of not only the image of God, but ultimately the very image of Christ, who is in all ways aligned with God. All right. So that's that's the goal of discipleship. That's who we want to be. Unless, of course, we continue to be idolatrous, seeking after other gods. It's a it's an inversion of God's design. It's a perversion of of the image bearing design of God in our lives. And it's the point of the conversation that Christopher Wright is seeking to uh, have with us in his new book, Here Are Your Gods. Here are your gods, faithful discipleship in idolatrous times. The book actually is not available till tomorrow, but it's available today here. And Christopher Wright is up next. We'll be right back. So it's Monday, and so if, 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 if you have already joined us at MyFaithRadio.com in the Monday prayer devotional email, right, we send it out every Monday, um, then you're already all lined up today to be praying together with other believers. Even though we're still far apart geographically, uh, socially distancing, we can be together in prayer and so let me encourage you, if you have not done so already, go to MyFaithRadio.com, sign up for the prayer devotional email. It's under the subscriptions tab. And every Monday, we're going to send you um, a short quote and a thought along with a prayer to start your week off right. So join us in the prayer devotional email. It's under the subscriptions tab at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. have many battles in your home? Are there bunkers built up throughout the house? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. You may find that the frequency and intensity of scuffles are increasing in your home. I'd encourage you to think about the hills you're dying on. What issues have the greatest consequences? What battles, if you lose, will also cause you to sacrifice a relationship? And what battles will eventually pass? Once you've answered these questions, adjust what you fight back about. Mom, Dad, choose your battles wisely and carefully. On the essential, non-negotiable stuff, don't budge one inch. On the non-essentials, show a little grace and mercy. Find more parenting help from Mark Gregston at ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Christopher Wright joins me now from London, England. 
Hello, hello. Christopher is hello. the International Ministries Director of the Langham Partnership. He has written lots of books, including some of my favorites. Uh, I loved The Mission of God, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, Old Testament Ethics for the People of God, and Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. Today, he's here to talk about his latest work, Here Are Your Gods. Christopher, welcome yeah, back to Mornings hello. with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. So tomorrow is actually the um, drop day for the book. So what do you have planned? Oh, uh, nothing in particular. Uh, You know, it's just uh, it'll be for me another day of work here in London, which is where I am at the moment. And uh, just don't forget the subtitle of the book as well. It's Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. So uh, but yeah, I'm glad the book is actually getting published. So so are we. All right. So let's start with um, here are your gods, because that is a direct reference to a passage of Scripture and a story that, um, that is at the center of the conversation. And then we'll move to the subhead, because I do think that that, those, that really frames the entirety of the book, right? You, you are helping us understand um, idolatry in the Old Testament, but then you are also helping us live as faithful disciples in the idolatrous times in which we currently find ourselves. So talk a little bit about here are our gods for people who don't recognize that biblical reference. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yes, it actually comes twice in the Old Testament. Here are your gods. The first time is in in Exodus 32, when the people of Israel have got to Mount Sinai, uh, and um, Moses is up the mountain receiving the instructions for the tabernacle. And uh, the people come to Aaron, and they end up making that golden calf. Uh, And Aaron then says to the people of Israel, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Uh, The next time it occurs uh, is when uh, Jeroboam led the tribes of the northern tribes of Israel in rebellion against uh, King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, led them off into secession and then set up uh, idols in the south and the north of the kingdom, again, bull calves, and said the same words, here are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. And the point is that the who brought you up out of Egypt is an obvious reference to the Exodus. And we know that it was the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who did that. Uh, And yet here they are kind of mixing uh, statues and gods with the God of Israel. So it's in both cases, it's an act of what is sometimes called syncretism. That is that you claim to be or you think you are still worshipping the living God, but in fact, uh, you are in, engaged in, in worshipping idols, of, and in Israel's case, the idols of the people around them. So the Old Testament does have this analysis of, of idolatry and syncretism, and I think it's well worth as a, a church at any time of our existence as the people of God to uh, beware of the fact that we may have fallen into the worship of other gods, just as the Israelites did in the Old Testament. Apostle Paul says these things were written for our instruction and a warning. uh, And so therefore, this book is trying to perhaps heed that warning. Do you need to answer that? I mean, it's okay if you do, because it's live radio. This is how this works. That's exactly radio. My wife already. Who who is it? Oh, all right. Because we might want to know, like, right? Is it the queen calling? I don't know. Okay. So that doesn't ever happen. Okay. So it it wouldn't happen here. So the queen wouldn't call us, but she might call you. I'm just saying. Uh, Okay. So I'm talking to Dr. Christopher Wright. Um, We're talking about his new book, Here Are Your Gods, Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. Um, One of the things that I want to be sure people understand, because I think that, you know, you're an Old Testament scholar, and sometimes that sounds like something we don't 
necessarily want to spend a lot of time in. You are an Old Testament scholar who helps us understand why we are still Old Testament people. Why, I mean, you really do help us make the connection, um, bridge maybe the misunderstanding that people have sometimes. Um, I do think that there are people who imagine that as Christians, we only need the New Testament, but um, that's not true. And so thank you for another good work on that front um, that yep. actually helps us live practical discipleship that grows yeah. out of our understanding uh, of who who God really is, much of which we learn from the Old Testament. Well, exactly. Uh, and indeed, the way I'd put it is that uh, their story is our story, uh, because the Bible is one big story. It's a story of God from beginning to end, from creation as uh, Act One, and then you move into the, our rebellion against God as the human race. And then from Abraham on, God is telling a story of the people that he chose to be the vehicle of bringing blessing to all nations. And we are part of the all nations that God wanted to bless. So the story of Israel uh, is not just ancient history. It, it's actually part of the, the people of God who now in Christ we have become. Uh, and so therefore you come to the central story of Christ and then the New Testament church and then on ultimately to the second coming and the new creation. So it's one big story and it's it's crucial in order to understand our place in the story and who we are as God's people today, to understand what God gave to us uh, in the first parts of the story, Acts 1, 2, and 3. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul means when he says that uh, all these scriptures, meaning the Old Testament, were written by inspiration of God and are profitable. They're for us. They're part of our story. So if we neglect the Old Testament of what it has to teach us, I think we're the losers. And it's one of the reasons, I think, why the modern church is often very weak and very unaware of the idols in our midst, because we haven't really paid heed to those warnings that Paul tells us about. So here's a, here's just a, a point of confusion. You you call it, you know, the, a paradox. But, okay, let's talk about what is idolatry. Let's do that. But then how is it even possible to have other gods if God is the one true and only God? Ah, uh, yes. Well, that's because uh, when we chose as human beings to reject the authority of the, the one true living God in what's called the fall, you know, back in Genesis 3, uh, we can't stop worshipping. We, we still have to have something that is greater than ourselves, something that we give allegiance to, something that gives us a sense of, uh, of purpose and value and ultimacy. And so we create those for ourselves. Uh, and that will always be something either within creation uh, or something, in some cases, demonic, uh, but often just things that we value very, very highly, which we then treat as if they were ultimate, like uh, wealth, like family, like our nation, uh, like things within creation, like food, like sex. Anything that is part of the good creation that God made, we can turn good things into God things, uh, which they shouldn't be. Uh, uh, and we neglect the living God himself. So these things, of course, are not gods in the same way that God is God. There is only one living God, but we turn them into uh, idols when we give them power over our lives, when we invest in them all sorts of treasure and, uh, and energy and effort. Uh, and in the end, they always disappoint us. These false gods fail us. Uh, and that's part of the lesson of the Old Testament, that when you swap the living God for these false gods, which are the work of our own hands, which is an Old Testament phrase, they're things that we have created and made, whether literally made, physical idols, or more often nowadays, conceptual ones, ideologies, beliefs, loyalties, allegiances that we give allegiance to. 
they fail us. They they let us die, and they don't do what only the living God can do. Okay, Chris, that's so very helpful. Um, turning good things into God things, and not yep. just idols that we might carve out of wood and stone, because people will no, no, you know no. sort of roll their eyes at that possibly. But no, the no, idea. You know, we're not talking about people who make statues and idols and, you know, yeah, the ideologies, and... allegiances, beliefs, uh, oh, yeah. delusions. Those are the powerful idols of our time. They're, they're the spiritual idols. It's what Paul calls, you know, spiritual powers uh, that are there that uh, operate often hidden and unseen within our societies because they often look perfectly respectable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, smiling. we have to take a. You and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to invite you to help us discern the gods today. Um, okay. And then we're going to bring political ideology in particular into focus because you spend you spend time on that in the book um, in a particular way. So the book is Here Are Your Gods, Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. Christopher Wright is the author, and he and I will be right back. I put away. talking about God, and we are talking about idolatry, and we're talking about discipleship, and we're doing it all with Dr. Christopher Wright. The book is Here Are Your Gods, Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. Um, Chris, talk a little bit about discernment. Um, How do we we discern the gods of today? Well, I think one way of doing it is when we see what are the things that are most popular, most exalted, uh, the things that are, in a sense, dazzling in in, in a society. In in ancient Israel, there were varieties of things which the prophets condemn, which were idolaters. One is the excessive pursuit of wealth, for example. Uh, They see that in, in, in Solomon after kings who build themselves great palaces and think that that's the best way to be king. You also find dependence on um, on armies and militaries and so on. Again, the Psalms uh, are against that. They show that if you're going after that kind of security, then it needs to be in God. Uh, they also expose the kind of um, self-exaltation that you get in some of the kings that the prophets expose, like Jeremiah. So I think the Bible helps us to discern wisely that there are aspects of fallen human culture, and I'm not just talking about any modern nation, but fallen human culture in general, going right back through the ages, uh, in which we will exalt things and put things on pinnacles and pedestals, thinking that that is the way to be great, uh, when that so often militates not only against what Jesus said, you know, that the, it will be the, the, the greatest of you must be the, the least, the least will be among the greatest, but also the way the Old Testament asked Israel to be and asked Israel's kings to be, that they should not be super Israelites, but model Israelites living under the law, living within the covenant, caring for the weak and the poor, uh, exposing the kind of inequalities and injustices that would happen in society and, and rectifying them. Those are the things I think that God, the living God, cares about and that he delights in. Uh, and when we go after false gods, we usually ignore those things. Does it, um, this is a little bit of a side note, does it trouble you that programs like American Idol um, are wildly popular and that there are so many people pursuing to be, you know, America's next idol, that we, that we almost idolize idolatry today? Well, yes. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to use, you know, I wouldn't put too much weight on that word. Obviously, yeah, American Idol, we have the same word over here. Um, 
is a kind of popularized, somewhat trivial use of the word idolatry. Actually, mm-hmm. that's part of the problem, is that when right. you trivial something, you then lose sight of the reality. It's the same way when people use words like demons or devils or hell or anything else in a trivial way, it conceals the fact that there are realities there that are very serious. Um, the thing about something like um, American Idol is I would see it more as ev- simply symptomatic uh, of the cult of celebrity, that, that, that somehow people simply want to be big and famous simply for being big and famous, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. rather than actually accomplishing something. Where, there's nothing wrong with being famous and well-known. We, through history, people have done amazing things, and they are rightly praised for it and remembered for it, and we put up statues in their honor and that kind of thing. But when it becomes something almost like a hollowed out cultural icon, then I think it it speaks of a culture which has lost a deep sense of what is valuable and what is really worthwhile. Again, I I go back to my Old Testament and you find Jeremiah speaking in in, in Jeremiah chapter 2 about the idolatry of his day. And he says, they pursued worthless things and became Mm. worthless themselves. You become like what you worship. This, this is part of the reality of the biblical truth. If you worship the living God, you'll be more and more made in his image and become more like Christ. If you worship all these false idols, then you will be, in a sense, you'll become their incarnation. You, you become like what you choose to worship and idolize. And that's what I think part of this cult of celebrity is doing to our cult and to, to our culture uh, and particularly to our younger generation. Um, Chris, let's talk a little bit about political idolatry. You spend a fair amount of time in the book talking about that. So let's just focus in on political idolatry sort of then and now. Mm. Well, I think, again, the Old Testament helps us to show that God is passionately interested in politics. I mean, this is one of the big gaps in often in our evangelical Christianity, which is that we have sometimes thought that really the Bible is only about getting to heaven when you die and getting your soul saved. And if the Old Testament shows us anything, it shows that uh, God cares about society. He cares about how society is governed. He cares about the integrity of leaders and governors. And particularly, he is concerned about things like judicial process, about truthfulness, about integrity, uh, about simplicity and humility. And these are things that, that so often seem to go out the window when people are involved these days in political campaigning or even in political office. Uh, in many parts of the world, uh, we need to be clear that I, I'm, you know, I see this particularly in Western cultures, but you find it also now increasingly in uh, in Latin America and in some parts of Asia and elsewhere. So it's not a new thing, but the Old Testament does expose it that uh, politics is an arena in which God has very strong demands. And in my book, I outline some of the ways in which God lays demands on the kings and and, and says this is the way you should be running and also exposes the way that so often fallen kings and governors and judges did behave then. And I simply say, I can see that being mirrored in today's, particularly Western civilization. I can see almost a recapitulation of the book of Judges uh, in which Mm. repeat folly uh, and repeated going after other gods in the end, we end up like Paul says in Romans 1, where God says, well, if that's the way you want it, then have it. Uh, and society itself will begin to disintegrate uh, into factionalism and internal strife, greater inequality and suffering of the poor. Uh, somehow that seems to be the way civilizations end up throughout history. I mean, God has given us thousands of years of history in the Bible, and we see successive 
empires and civilizations rising and then collapsing. And I just wonder whether we are in the throes of that uh, in the 500 years now we've had, really, of European North Atlantic civilization, uh, so-called the West, uh, Western civilization, seems to be evidencing so much of what the Old Testament shows us are idols that God rejects and that God ultimately will destroy. Christopher, um, thank you so much. Let me direct people uh, to the book. It is, it's just, it's excellent. Uh, It's Here Are Your Gods, Faithful Discipleship in Idolatrous Times. The entire part three of the book is is how God's people are going to live in the midst of an idolatrous world. So it's very practical. Um, how do we honor God? How do we follow Jesus in um, in a world like this? Well, we look back to the Old Testament and we see how the people of God um, were able to f- function in the midst of idolatrous days, um, how they were able to recapture uh, the first true love, uh, how they were able to follow God honestly in the midst of a world that was very, very captivated with many other gods, much in the same way that our world is today. Um, Christopher, thank you so very much. Excellent work. Uh, We look forward to our next conversation with you. Thank you, Carmen. And the book does end up with Christ. It does end up with the kingdom of God, all Old Testament. It is for the disciples of Jesus, and that's what's important. Amen. Amen and amen. Christopher Wright, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. God bless. You too. We'll be right back. All right, so the Boston Globe um, featured an article that uh, is entitled, Is Death the Great Equalizer? It's behind a paywall, so I'm not going to talk much about it. But it, uh, that's, a, that's a quote from, um, from a poem, from an Irish poem, in which uh, it is argued that death is the great equalizer. And I just want to be sure that when we see headlines like that and when we see discussions like that, we are able to say um, yes and no. Um, Yes, everyone dies, but there is a second death. And um, the question or the answer to what happens after that second death is determined here and now. You make a decision here and now, either for or against Jesus. And if you make a decision against Jesus, then the great equalizer of death that ends in a second death ends in hell. And, uh, And in that, there is this great division, right? There is ultimately a great division in the second death. Read Daniel 12, read Hebrews 9, recognize the reality that there is um, a real separation that takes place. And though though we're all equal in the first death, we are definitely divided in the second death. All right, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Stick with us. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.